Well, good evening, everybody, and we welcome you to This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale with you, producing Floris Michael Ryder, as we kick off another edition of This Week in Hockey. Every single Tuesday night coming your way from 6 to 8 p.m. Tomorrow night, we've got the Boardwalk Harbor Floors behind the bench show, and that comes your way from 6 to 7. It won't be long before we have Blues Hockey. August 2nd, if everything stays on track, we will have the St. Louis Blues against the Colorado Avalanche for you right here on 101 ESPN and Joe first off great to see you again I know we both have taken a little bit of time off here knowing that this offseason is going to be completely different and and totally wild and I'll tell you something I my thought process throughout this whole thing has been I I wish I actually would have kept a little bit more of a diary on this one so Mm -hmm. I could refer to it later and just the thoughts you have as it goes I never doubted any way whether or not we'd be playing I, I really felt that the National Hockey League was going to do whatever it took to make sure that they played. But the one lesson to be learned here is as much as everybody wants information now, you know, you know, everybody wants to be like J.G. Wentworth and they need their money now, mm-hmm. right? Patience matters. Mm-hmm. Look at what the National Hockey League is doing. We'll get into camp opening up here this week, but... It took a lot of decision-making, patience, understanding, asking questions, adjusting, changing, maybe not even day-to-day, changing from morning to afternoon on what you were looking at, just to even get to the point where guys could get back on the ice. But it really appears that this whole process has given them a very good chance to succeed. It does, Curbs. And you know, to your point about when this thing got shut down, I believe it was March 11th officially, I don't know if anyone could have guessed that we'd be seeing playoff hockey in August, but because of how it's all kind of worked out and panned out and through patience uh, and through great leadership, you know, I can't speak enough about the leadership of all the player representatives, your own here in St. Louis, Colton Pareko, for what he's had to go through on a multiple time a day, not only staying in shape for himself, but to, to organize his team and to get player votes and to try to get the CBA negotiated and um, Gary Bettman uh, – Again, I, I know he's he's thought of in a certain way in this league, but the utmost respect for him, Bill Daly, uh, Donald Fear, everyone involved for not only navigating this ship in uncertain territory and, and, and dark oceans, but the plan's one thing, but to negotiate a new four-year extension, six years of security for these players, and a very player-friendly deal. I've talked to a lot of players, Curbs, about this. I think the owners really kind of, I think they ended up. I, I really feel they did. I think they're promising money down the road. I think they're looking at money revenue coming in from different avenues as we move forward. But at the end of the day, the money worked out in favor of the players. And and the best decision, the best decision, I always was optimistic about this, but the best decision the league made that I knew for a fact we're going to see hockey was when they moved both hub cities to Canada into very responsible and low-number cities of Edmonton and Toronto. All right, we will talk a little bit more about uh, that CBA challenge and process and all of its impact coming up in the next hour. But in, in this opening segment, first off, you're going to hear from Carl Gunnarsson. Oh, in about 15 minutes or so, Carl Gunnarsson joins us on the show. Doug Armstrong met with the media. You'll hear from him. And then in this hour, we're going to talk with St. Louis and Luke Cunnan, who's a type 1 diabetic and had to make some decisions before joining the Minnesota little wild on on their chance at, at getting into the playoffs and, and potentially winning a Stanley Cup. But uh, I, I know you've been out at the practice uh, the first couple of days. I have not been out there. I'm still kind of where helping take care of my father and all that. So I'm still kind of taking that very careful route until we get some things sorted out there. But um, 
first off, what was it like to walk back into the rink and feel the chill uh, of the ice even in the middle of summer? Well, I had to find my jacket first and foremost at home. I asked my wife, honey, I can't find my black jacket. I need it. It felt weird putting on jeans. And I don't think I've gotten dressed up in a collared shirt in probably four months. I certainly haven't worn a suit, Curb, since our last game. And I can promise you when we're going to be doing the games remotely, we're not no, wearing no one. Hoodies? No. no. Oh, yeah, you can track wear suit. hoodies. We can track, track suit. <laughs> I prefer, please wear clothes. I mean, while. Yeah, let's not get too over the top here. But yeah, I've, I've seen you with your shirt off, and that's a lot of back hair, Curb. So I, I agree with that. But no, it was great. Uh, I shaved it. You, did, you shaved well, it? Well, I couldn't do it. I had, I, you know, my, my, oh, my wife no, did. You yeah. didn't do that to your wife. As long as you don't make your kids well, do it. Well, what are you going to do? Like, I got into this with Patrice. Because you like like with Rizzuto and those guys, yeah. You know, unfortunately, when you when you're when you were born for a cold climate, you know, and and you're part Wookie, you got to take care of certain things. But see, I don't think they, you... I think they've got some devices now where you can reach it. See, my thing is, if it's going to grow back, you shouldn't torture your wife or any of your kids. You know, what I'm trying to say, if it's permanent, yeah, they can suck it up and get through it. But the idea of torturing them for ten, so you're 12 saying minutes, you go somewhere and just get it ripped. Yeah, right just out. get it ripped right out, or just figure out a way to do it yourself. But anyway, no, uh, putting on warm clothes that was. Good. Yeah, that's getting back to the rink. Uh, it it was great. Let's get back on track because this is quickly me out. Quickly, I'm, I, I can feel myself turning the dial. Live with me. <laughs> you know, I just seeing the the post reporters. Of course, you run into uh, the PR staff. You see Doug Armstrong in his, his special corner up there in Centene. Seeing the Blues out there, the smiles, the zip, uh, pucks smacking the window. You know, Bernie Federico and I sat right behind um, Jordan Bennington. He had a great discussion, and w- which is cool in itself. I sometimes I. You know, I don't think we take this for granted sometimes, Kurt. Dude, but I know exactly he, he, what you're about to say here. You know what I mean? I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm talking hockey, and, and, and it just hit me. I'm like, I'm talking hockey with the greatest blue of all time, and I, I, I just take it for granted so much, and he is breaking down the game and breaking down shots, and I just I kind of had a moment where I'm just going to soak this in. But, no, it, it was it was great to be back. I, th- those That happens all the time when, you, when you're able just to sit there and have a hockey conversation with Al McKinnis or yep. whatever. It's, it's, I, I agree with you completely on that. You know, as, as they take to the ice, there's only one unknown in my book. I mean, I, well, we could dig deeper. But the true unknown is just going to be, is this team going to get some bounces? Because mm-hmm. I, I have, and, and bounces does include health, but if they stay healthy, I have no I, I doubt in my mind that they have the maturity, that they have the attitude, that they have the experience mm-hmm. to repeat. And every time I look at this play in, and seeding scenario, and I think, okay, a team like the Columbus Blue Jackets now could be a heck of a threat because they're completely healthy, right? Or Jake Gensel back with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we'll talk to Phil Bork in the second hour about that, or other factors. But I also look at the St. Louis Blues. Now Oscar Sundquist, such a critically important part of this team, is rested. Mm-hmm. Alexander Steen is rested. Sammy Blay is rested. You know, go Go down the line and how that all plays out that – I mean, it a Boston Bruins St. Louis Blues Stanley Cup final again is easily seeable. Oh, absolutely, Curves. I mean, you mentioned the bounces. Uh, I would call them required saves in a game or a, a timely save when you need it. We can break down Game Seven, Boston. We can break down Game Seven, Dallas of last year's run. Uh, to me, that that can be lumped in to to the bounces, and I think that's the only thing holding this team back. Frankly, I think it's probably the only team, only thing holding the top four or five teams in each conference back because that's really what playoff hockey just boils down to is just getting that bounce. Uh, Jordan Bennington, it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. I look back over the run last year, and there were games the Blues should not have won. 
straight out. They they should not have won, and I will I will even say it. Boston Game Seven should not have been theirs if they could have lost that game in the first five minutes, and that's that's just the truth. Will Jordan Bennington be well, able to— Well, the first be- 10 minutes, but I liked their game after that, didn't But you? I'm saying, though, if, if you get down by two or three— Oh, no doubt. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what I'm saying. But those saves were made at such a good time. Yes. To me, it's it's bounces, but will Jordan Bennington, can he continue to to shy away all the naysayers and, and to continue to put the, the doubters on, on silence okay, again? Okay, do you think that's can a question? That? What do you mean? Like so, Jim Thomas asked that question in these media scrums several times. Mm-hmm. Do you think you know? Do you think do you have confidence in Jordan Bennington? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything from him that would make me shy away from what we've seen. I think it's a good question, just because I want to hear hear the answer. But I don't think it's a question anymore. I think he's seen enough. I think we've seen enough to know exactly what he is. But we've also seen Jordan Bennington at times last year, where you know he got a little bit loosey at times. Curbs, this is a tournament now. It's true that if you have a couple of those games. Boof, who knows? And then you get maybe you lose a couple of those bounces and boof, who knows? Right? I mean that's that that'd be my concern. And I think that if Jordan continues to be as stellar and as nails as we've all seen, I really think it's just a matter of bounces for the Blues to get back to the cup final. All right, we've got a lot to get through and a lot of fun coming your way here on this show tonight. Carl Gunnerson coming up in the next segment. You'll hear from Doug Armstrong this hour and Luke Cunning of the Minnesota Wild. That's just hour number one. In hour number two, more of just some general talk like we just had. We'll talk about the CBA. You'll hear from Chris Thorburn, who gives us a scouting report, having played with somebody like Clem Costin and then his other general thoughts talking to his teammates. Phil Bork on the return to play for the Pittsburgh Penguins and scenarios in the East. And even more coming your way in hour number two. We'll take a break and be back in a moment. It's This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale with you this week. We come your way every single Tuesday night, 6 to 8 p.m. Hey, we have found, by the way, we have found enough stuff to talk about, even through a pause, that it's great to actually be getting back to hockey, talking with players about hockey, matchups, games, you name it. It's all coming fast within a few weeks. So glad to have you with us. And of course, every one of the Blues games can be heard live right here on 101 ESPN. New daddy and St. Louis Blues defenseman Carl Gunnarsson, kind enough to join us. Carl, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. How are you guys doing? Doing really well. So what has been the process like to have have a baby during a pandemic? A little bit different. Uh, a little bit different. Yeah, we were stuck here and, you know, couldn't move uh, too much. And we've been here in St. Louis. And, uh, yeah, we were kind of worried about it when uh, we had our son in the beginning of April. You know, going into the hospital, we, they tried to rush everything and kind of, you know, you just want to be in and out there. But uh, considering all that, it's been, it's been pretty good. Um, you know, the, the silver liner of the whole thing is I've been able to be home a ton, spend some time with the family and kind of helping out too. So uh, it's been good though. Yeah. Well, Carl, I remember I almost hit you last week going down Lindbergh. You were riding your bike with your little guy. I think it was your little one on the back seat. You were a little close to the, the street, by the way. I hope your wife's not listening, but you were close. Living on the edge, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's how you roll. Uh, you know, but to your point about, you know, having another baby in April during the heat of all this, when it was peaking here in Missouri, obviously, you know, the old cliche and the joke is, oh, my God, I need a, I need a vacation. I need to get away. Us fathers need our rest. You know, that's what everyone says when you have a newborn. But this is completely different. This is like, hey, honey, I'm going to Edmonton, and I may not be back for two, two and a half months. W- what is that like? This this one's tough. I mean, 
not only not only leaving them, but thinking about what my wife's going to be. You know, she's going to be alone with two kids, and you know, schools are not open, and my family, her family, can't come over. So, you know, we'll try to figure things out here. And uh, yeah, it's not not perfect, but it is what it is, right? And we've been kind of preparing for it for a while now, so uh, we'll get through it. I don't think there's going to be a problem, but for sure, it's a, it's a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Were there any discussions on your part as a family on whether or not it was the right decision to participate or not participate? Of course, yeah. I think everyone, you know, uh, had a talk with their close ones and, you know, thinking about the whole thing because, you know, in the last couple of months, things have been kind of crazy and you're not sure what's going to come. And, uh, yeah, we've seen a couple of guys opt out too. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, we're just – happy to get some kind of normality back to our lives, even though it is going to be kind of a weird one, but we're going to be playing hockey again uh, in a bubble, of course. But um, yeah, we talked about it, but at the end of the day, we just felt like, uh, yeah, COVID is not going to stop us from doing this and uh, we'll we'll just fight through it um, the best way we can and just hope and try to stay safe and and healthy. Carl, have you and your wife discussed the possibility without looking too far ahead, but with families being able to join in the conference final and the cup final, which will take place in Edmonton, have you guys began those discussions that if you guys make it that far, would it be something that you think your family would come up and join you? Um, We talked about it a little bit, just touched on it, but um, right now I think we're leaning on not getting him into Edmonton. Uh, I think just, Keep him at home. Try to have him as safe as possible. Uh, you know, with a little guy, he'll be like, uh, at that point, he'll be probably five months. Uh, yeah, in September, October there. So, I mean, he's still very, very little. Uh, it's kind of tough. Having kids around, they want to touch everything. They, it's tough to keep masks on him, too. Um, but yeah, I, I think at that point, you know, we'll talk about it more. But right now, it's kind of, you know, we'll go there, do our thing, and then... Uh, going to be weird even if it would come there's not going to be anyone else there it's not going to be a crowd um yeah just you know number one is kind of try to keep them as safe and healthy as possible so yeah we'll see we'll talk more about it yeah part of this is and and hoping and assuming that the team can go all the way again the idea that uh for the first time you you'll be living in winnipeg or i'm sorry in edmonton for two months yeah, I mean that's um, just even even that in and of itself is a is a mental hurdle to adjust to of saying okay. I mean, we've all lived in the lockdown scenario, but there were certain freedoms in your own home. That this is this is a different thing that as a player to try and get your head around, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. And there's so many things up in the air too, you know. And we'll figure things out as we as we go. But you know, it's not perfect. But I think with our group of guys that we have, I think when we get there and, you know, we're going to spend a ton of time together, I think, you know, some teams might struggle with that. But uh, our group of guys, I think we just kind of, we might thrive from that. Just hang it out, uh, do whatever we can, and, you know, enjoy the time we got and then just get back to business. But it's uh, it's kind of a weird situation, but I think we'll, we'll do great with that. Carl, uh, a lot of people, including myself, uh, a lot of critics and experts and just commoners, I think, is the biggest thing right now is 
how do we get to the bubble? And that's going to be the biggest hurdle because a lot of people believe, you look what's going on with the English Premier League of being in that bubble and having great results within that bubble. So that the real challenge, I think, is going to come right now in this phase three. Everyone's in their club city. What are they telling you guys or what are you doing personally on a day-to-day basis to make sure you guys are being as safe as possible? Well, we've been uh, we've been kind of strict, me and my whole family, just not going out anything, not, you know, seeing too many people. Um, so we, we've been doing that for months now, and uh, this is just, you know, two more weeks before we take off. So, you know, for me, it's just going to the rink, do the job, and then go home and kind of stay out of, uh, out of trouble. I mean, just don't have to do anything extra, just kind of do what uh, what we've been doing here, and that's staying home, do our own thing, and take care of the family, make sure everyone's safe. Um, you know, it's it's not a too big of a deal. Like I said, we've been doing it for a while now, so we're kind of used to it. But it is hard. Uh, but considering that, we're we're kind of lucky too. I mean, people are struggling with this economically, and you know, uh, in other ways too. So you just got to see it from from a good point of view that we're kind of lucky. We can still do what we love, uh, and we can still enjoy ourselves. But uh, yeah, we just got to be respectful of everyone. And I think in the society too and not go out and kind of do anything stupid here so yeah we're we're just on lockdown and for two more weeks and then we'll see what the bubble brings carl having gone through the run that you guys went on route to your championship in 2019 how would you say you are mentally different in terms of how to approach the playoffs this year versus the year before you won the cup as an example uh, well, last year we were in a kind of kind of a different spot, um, you know, chasing the whole way into the playoffs. And this year we've been kind of, you know, uh, holding the number one spot more or less, you know, uh, the whole time. So it is a little bit different. I think everyone feels like too we got a little bit more to bring, and you know that, that's what we're going to try to do here for the playoffs. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a different approach, I guess. With like I said, no one really knows how this is going to play out, and we got all the uh, we got the schedule and all that, but in terms of how you're going to feel, in terms of you know how it's going to be with playing with no crowd and tough schedule, it, it's, it's going to be a little different. But uh, you just got to be able to adjust. And I think that you know uh, how we showed last year, how we just bounced back from everything. That's uh, that's kind of in, in our advantage. So we're we're kind of a strong group in that way. Carl, the last thing I got for you, I was with Matt Lashoff, your former teammate, the other day, and we got on the, a Carl Gunnarsson discussion. And, <laughs> and a former defenseman like Lashoff was, he he begged the question, how does Carl do that? And what he was talking about is something I never asked you, I've always wanted to ask you. You know, when a defenseman like you is either scratched or out because of injury, when you come back in the lineup, you go right back on that top pair and you log 25, 26 minutes. They don't just ease you back into the lineup in that six or five spot. What is that like going from maybe being a scratch or, you know, maybe a late scratch through injury to maybe the following game going right up there with the captain and logging nearly almost half a game? It's tough. Uh, It is tough to get in, you know, right into the heat, but I wouldn't say you get used to it either, but uh, we've been doing this, you know, uh, I mean, a few other guys just been in and out a little bit over the last couple of seasons. So it's more a mental thing, I feel like, than anything else. You just kind of try to play your game, play, try to do your thing, and then see where the coaches want to 
want to play it. But yeah, it's not easy if you've been out with injuries and stuff, and they go in and play a ton of minutes. It's uh, it is fun though, and like I said before, you just got to have that kind of look at things because you know who can complain about ice time, right? Uh, I've seen the other side of it, sitting on the side, up in the press box, not being part of the game. And uh, so, so, I mean, coming back on the top pair and playing a ton of minutes, I'd rather do that than sit up in the press box. So uh, you just got to look at it that way and kind of take it as a good challenge and try to stay in the lineup as long as you can. But, uh, yeah, it is a challenge for sure, but it's kind of fun too, right? Well, Carl, you know, you're never going to be on the ice if you get run over by cars. So please be more respectful when you're riding bikes down Lindbergh, will you? Yeah, well, stay out of the way, right? You never know. I might bend your car. <laughs> Carl, uh, on behalf on Curbs and I, we really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I know it's only two days into camp, and you got family and, and hockey and all this stuff going on. So just having 10 minutes of your time meant a whole lot. Thank you so much, buddy, and stay safe, stay healthy. I can't wait to see number four on the ice out at Centene tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, and stay safe and healthy, everyone. All right? Yeah, we will. Thank you, Carl. That's Carl Gunnarsson on This Week in Hockey. We'll take a break. More to come in a moment on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back to This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale with you. Our thanks to Mike Ryder for helping with the production side as well. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Carl Gunnarsson. Again, as, as we tell you, if you missed any of these shows over the weeks or any of the guests tonight, log on to 101ESPN.com. You can subscribe to the podcast as each show is podcasted right there on the website for you. All right, so earlier today, well, even yesterday, Doug Armstrong, after the first day of the team hitting the ice, met with the media, and uh, so he was asked a whole bunch of different questions, ran through a lot of different things. We thought we'd bring some of those to you now and get some reaction to it as well. But first off, i got to tell you, my my favorite thing is I don't I, I don't think that Doug Armstrong thoroughly enjoys doing the interviews. I think he understands it, and, he, and it, he's got a fantastic personality and great to, to do them, um, but, but I just think if – if somebody were to ever go up to him and, and frankly, probably a lot of people in the world of sports and said, look, you'll never have to do another interview again, I think they'd be perfectly fine with it. Having said that, I thoroughly enjoyed the humor of the very first question he was asked yesterday when he was asked about Robert Bortuzzo and Colt Pareko not being on the ice. Yeah, uh, they changed their cell numbers during the break, so I haven't had, had a chance to reach to him yet, so they didn't know it was practice today. No, uh, they're... they're, they're uh, yeah, no, they'll be they'll be back in in short order. We're not allowed, quite honestly, to talk about it, but uh, you you'll see him on the ice sometime this week. <laughs> I thought that was a great way to start a presser. You know, it's it's those type of personality. Doug is a very intimidating guy. I still get a little nervous talking to Doug. It's just I think players do. I think he's that. GM that you, you, you may not see him or hear him, but you smell him. He's around. You know what I mean? I think players are intimidated by that. So when he throws something out there like that, man, that is funny. Nothing was better, though, than being able to go blank off when after winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Can we tell that story one day? We have to tell that story one day. That's one of my favorite all the run, the entire run. And that was before I fell asleep on the plane. Uh, but no, it is it is great to hear that sense of humor. Now, Robert Bortuzzo and Colton Pareko, the, they, they will be out on the ice, I, I believe. You know, even one of those guys might have even been around the rink today. You know, as but but not on the ice. And now this is one of the real challenges of what is going to go on. I I do believe that the players have the right to keep any kind of COVID diagnosis private. Mm-hmm. No different than anybody out there. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, I've come around. Well, I've never liked the upper body, lower body. I quit caring. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're injured. They're not out. Yeah. However. 
in this situation, I, again, I fully believe that it's nobody's business but the players on their own. But this does lead to a whole ton of speculation. Now, here's the reality. One, if there's if it's an injury, at least we're, we're going to find out. We're, we're going to know. Players are going to talk. Eventually, someone's you're, you're going to find out. So th- it's just going to create a whole lot of speculation if a guy misses a practice. But you might as well wait because if you only miss two practices – well, then that's most likely not COVID-related and that kind of thing. So I, I think it's one of those things where um, I think fans are just going to have to just accept it. But the league has told the teams. The league has told the teams. That's how it's going to be happen. You're yeah. either available or you're not available. We're not talking injuries, and we're not talking COVID. Yeah, almost I think they laid out their curbs as not fit to play, is I think they're how yeah. they're exactly saying it. And I'm like you, not only is it a league policy, I think there's some sort of laws in place where they can't really even say. Well, HIPAA matters too. Yeah. It'd be exactly right. So, uh, you know, the good news for Blues fans, Colton Pareko was in the building on Monday, the first day of camp, in the hallway. He did not skate. He was on the ice today in that second group. So it appears now that Colton's going to be uh, just fine. Now, Robert Bortuzzo, again, we don't know the extent of what uh, he has, whether COVID-related or injury-related. I know a lot of these players have been skating. You look what happened to Steven Stamkos. Right. I mean, these players have been skating. It's very possible and realistic to think that some Blues players here along the way are going to get some knick-knack injuries uh, during this camp. And Doug Armstrong was asked about uh, the support he gives to players on the opt-in, opt-out discussion. Well, during the whole uh, Phase 2 or even prior to Phase 2, we've, we've always let the players know that their health and safety of, of themselves and their families at the forefront, and they'd have 100% of our support. Uh, and uh, so we didn't, we didn't call each individual to, to ask them that question. I think they knew going in uh, that we would support whatever decision they made, and uh, no, no one has come to us asking not to participate. And along those lines now, he was also asked about the communication. What, what do you have to tell the players? Do you have a meeting and say, listen, fella, and you, you almost treat it like a mom-dad situation, saying, stay in your room, young man. But uh, Doug Armstrong talked about how that communication intends to work right now. Well, what I've done is, uh, you know, we have a group uh, chat going on, uh, and I, I just – tried to uh, emphasize the importance of taking care of themselves, taking care of their families and preparing uh, to play. Uh, but I talked to a couple of players last night and told them it's sort of playoff time right now. And I'm going to try and sit in the background and allow Craig to be the voice as he's talking to those guys. But I'm here if they have any questions on, on any sort of non-ice on ice related things. Uh, I just trust the professionalism. I, I trust their desire and uh, to wanting to play. And I know they're doing what they can do to, to, hopefully get us all through this uh, phase three and into phase four. Well, Joe, we talked about this in the opening segment of the show, but the professionalism and maturity of this team is really the key. And it, once again, not at all surprised where the, the general manager is saying, I'm putting this on the coach. On the coach, on the leaders. I mean, and that's the good thing. That's the good news if you're Doug Armstrong. I mean, I would rather be in charge of this group, or let's say over the Buffalo Sabres or, or a group of the Detroit Red Wings, where you maybe you don't you have a leaderless tribe to some degree. So he's got a great point there. And, and Curbs, I think it's it's fair to say and fair to speculate that there has been some COVID incidences with this Blues team at some point. Well, we already know there there have been exactly. We, we so, know three players somewhere. So we do know. Yeah. I don't know if they are officially throwing that out there or not. I know they can't yeah. give the names, but uh, it has been through this team. And I think that I tell people this a lot. You know, I, I used to hear all the time, you know, so-and-so has cancer, so-and-so has cancer. And it never really meant anything to me. And I don't think it really means anything to anyone until it hits close to home, until a relative or right. a close friend uh, in, endures that and you see what cancer is. And I think for these Blues players, in some uh, respect, 
they actually saw that COVID could actually happen close to home. And I think it happened at a great time. And I think that now, given uh, those positive results, I think this Blues team is going to be even more um, uh, responsible moving forward. And, you know, part of that, it's almost a good thing. If You almost want to be one of those teams, to, the, to your point, where somebody got it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. B- because it does – you know, we'll hear from Jordan Bennington later in the show, but he said earlier today, yeah, this thing is real. I interviewed Ryan O'Reilly about uh, sometime last week, I think it was, uh, you know, just about it. And I asked him, I said, hey, well, when you realize that one or two of your teammates had it and, and contracted the virus, he says, yeah, it is definitely eye-opening, you know, and, and it is the real part of this. And now having, I think, teammates that have gone through it, even asymptomatically, you know, that is a little bit of that wake-up call saying, let's keep it tight because I get the sense these guys want to be playing as bad as the fans want them to be playing. Mm-hmm. They know that their window for winning a Stanley Cup is now. Mm-hmm. Another one is now. And they don't even want to waste a bubble opportunity, yeah. much less any other opportunity because, let's face it, even once you've won once, those windows do not last very long. No, they don't. Everyone keeps saying, asking me, is this going to be a problem for players to stay in that bubble? Is this going to be a problem for players to be responsible in Phase 3 heading into Phase 4? And I always tell them, I, I'm kind of insulted by the question because this is a, a group of professionals. Yes, they're young kids, but they take their craft very seriously. If I'm Alexander Steen and I'm Petro, I have young kids and I am risking everything to be here. I've already uh, kept in shape. I'm at camp. I'm in St. Louis. I'm not in my hometown of Sweden in the most perfect time of the year or wherever you're going to be. I'm grabbing those young guys by the, the shirt collar, I'm saying you do exactly what we say and don't do anything stupid because I think to, to that point, I think you're going to see a lot of that. I don't think one person can be in a position to jeopardize what, what everything and everyone has worked for up to this point. Well, the maturity level is not only going to matter in that department, but the maturity of this team is also going to matter in terms of the competition on the ice. Yeah, I, I think that just the maturity of our team is going to help us, Jimmy, just going into it. Uh, uh, we have a balance of experienced players and younger players, but I think the what they've gone through over the last few years puts them in a good spot. Uh, how last year ended, obviously, there's a positive feeling, but we had to go through a lot to get to the end of last year, and I think we're we're a hardened team mentally, uh, and I think this is going to be something where our experience hopefully will play in our favor that we can eliminate all the white noise of, of what's happening around us and just come and get the job done. Well, and, and that is, boy, that's the theme whether you talk to Alex Petrangelo, Ryan O'Reilly, Jordan Bennington, Robert Thomas, no matter who, old, young, right in the middle, they've they've really got that approach. And that that's one of the reasons that you really have to be excited as a Blues fan is because I, I'm not sure that there's anything, including a pandemic, that you can throw at this hockey team where because of the attitude their coach instilled in them, they don't think they can handle. Well, we heard Carl Gunnarsson just talk about it, Curbs, and I, in fact, I even wrote it down. It was such a great comment. I wrote it down with my my favorite San Jose pen. You yep. got me in, in San Jose. The only the only you can only get these in San Jose, by the way. It's the only place we found them. It's blue, green, black, yeah. red, and even pencil. And a pencil. And, and it's got an eraser too. But no, Carl Gunnarsson said that you know you look at this bubble, you look at how a lot of teams are going to be affected in a negative way because of the situation of being in Edmonton. He said, listen, we have such a great group and a tight group and, and such a great group of personalities. Is uh, Chris Thorburn, as we're going to hear from later in the show, he said a great group of personalities and guys just genuinely like each other. Not only is it going to be easier, he thinks, he said I, we can actually see ourselves thriving in a bubble like that yeah. because they get along so and so incredibly well. And, and, and it is – that changes to, – to me, that changed how you handicap these playoffs. Mm-hmm. The teams that can do that 
are the teams that are going to be successful. The teams that are prepared to handle the unknown, that are not even going to worry about what they can't control until it is time to have to deal with it, those are the teams that are going to make it through this. Because to do that, you will be sequestered up to as late as October, the first week of October. Mm -hmm. And if you're sitting here right now thinking, well, man, that's going to be a long time, you've already got one foot dragging behind you. Yeah. Well, and and you kind of said it to Carl Gunnarsson in our last segment, Curbs. And for whatever reason, I didn't think about it this way, but it really just hit me between the eyes. I hope you didn't shock Carl by this comment, but have you given any thought, Carl, that you're going to be in Edmonton for two over two months? I don't know if players and you, have... And, and you can't go to Sherlock Holmes. I, I, exactly. Well, oh, man, no Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> you know... There's probably more to Edmonton than that, but it's pretty much what we know. You know, it's actually improved quite a bit. I talked to James Neal about this. He actually loves Edmonton. He said it's very easy, it's convenient. Uh, but but to, to that point, though, I don't know if players have fully... I think they're kind of looking at it like round by round. You don't tend to look too far ahead because you could be going home in any round. But if you really break it down, two teams are going to be staying for over two months. In Edmonton, one team in Edmonton, one team in Toronto. Eventually, get in Edmonton, but the idea of being in a hotel for two months—that's that's a lot. And I think it takes a lot of character, and it takes a mature group, and it takes a group that likes each other. You have to really get along. Listen, I love my family. I know you love your family. Curbs going going to Italy or going, you know, on, on a on a RV trip for four weeks—it sounds great for us. Some people don't like their family as much. It's going to be a harder time. <laughs> You know what I mean? I think these Blues like each other so much that it's going to be uh, – I can see them thriving, as Carl Gunnarsson said. All right, so there you have it. Some sound from Doug Armstrong after the first day of this uh, new training camp has opened up. We'll take a break. We're going to stay inside the Central Division when we come back, and but talk to us St. Louis. And Minnesota Wild forward Luke Cunning joins us. He's a type 1 diabetic. He had a decision to make, and we'll talk to him about that decision on whether or not returning to play was important and what the thought process was. That'll be up in just a moment right here on 101 ESPN. Welcome back, Blues fans. This week in hockey, I'm Joe Vitale. We're here with Chris Kerber and a very special guest, a good friend of mine, a local St. Louis boy, now playing the National Hockey League for the Minnesota Wild. He will be gearing up the skates here for this play-in series here pretty soon, and we are welcoming Luke Cunning to the station here on our show. Luke, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Luke, I wanted to just kind of start off by saying I uh, appreciate your time here. And it's been a long time. Luke and I grew up together a little bit curved. We worked out together in St. Louis, and it's been a pleasure seeing him not only groom uh, through the St. Louis ranks, but playing for the Minnesota Wild, going through Wisconsin as well with Tony Granato. Uh, true pride of, of St. Louis. You've done good for yourself, Luke. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, we uh, we had some good times working out there at uh, Elevated Performance, and um, it was pretty cool for, for me at a young age to, to be around you. So, <laughs> appreciate uh you know you hanging around us you know little guys as well well, All right, you, well i gotta, can I, I gotta jump in here okay i i need the the single most important question of this interview is not getting back to hockey but the way you introed him it is this and luke you are now a, a full-time national hockey leaguer okay so you can feel free to answer this the right way right okay um and but did Joe wear the shortest possible shorts while working out when you guys were working out that we still see him wear when he's working out as a broadcaster on the road today? <laughs> I'm not sure. It was years ago, but I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Luke, but I mean, in our defense, though, we got these hockey quads. In, yeah, you got 
I feel like I feel like players either they gotta hide them or just own them, and there's no one between with them. Am I wrong? Am I right? Or am I wrong? I mean, are you a long short guy, or do you just kind of own it? And no, are they like eight I, inches above the I, kneecap? I, I'm not that short, but I like them right above above the kneecap for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, right, Curbs. I just I just wanted to check. I didn't know if this was something you've always done, Joe, or just kind of been that way. Luke, as, as you left St. Louis and headed back up to Minnesota to get ready for what's going on, uh, first off, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just what it was like to kind of watch this process play out in terms of even finding out whether or not your hockey team with the Minnesota Wild would be part of the restart. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty crazy. Obviously, crazy times right now. It's it's just what the world what the world is. But uh, you know, we just kind of stayed on top of it. Obviously, a lot was shut down, but just doing what you could, I guess, as far as workouts. And then when rinks finally opened up, trying to skate, you know, a little bit and just kind of get the touch and the feel back. And then, um, you know, once. Once it kind of got going and, and they said we were going to do it, it all kind of happened pretty quick, and we were uh, we were all pretty excited to to get back here and get going. Luke, the Minnesota Wild, they strike me as one of those teams with a lot of veterans. As as you know, you look at Zach Parisi, Suter, uh, Miku Koivu, even Stahl for that matter, a lot of veterans on that group and a younger guy like yourself. Is there like an extra sense of – do you feel that extra sense of urgency that – you're looking at a core group of guys on your team that may not have many shots at this left. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, it's been pretty special to play, you know, with those guys that you named, um, you know, and just learn from them. And and they're all unbelievable players and great people, you know, to learn from. They've been around a while, so it's uh, you know they, they know what uh, what the right way to play the game is, and, and especially going into you know playoffs, they obviously haven't done anything like this. No one has, so it's going to be different. But um, you know they're the right guys leading the charge for sure. When you found out that the Minnesota Wild were going to be part of the this restart and how the setup was going to be of of the seeding teams and then the playing games, and then right off the bat, you know, based on the the win percentage, that it would be the Minnesota Wild against the Vancouver Canucks. As a player, did your focus just stay on just being ready for when camp would open up, or did you start to think about what that opponent will be like as you have to play a best of five against them? I think you just kind of you kind of just get excited to be in the playoffs. I mean, obviously it's it's different. You know, there's not going to be people in the stands. You know, you look at the opponent a little, and then um, you know, kind of think back to times you played against them and whatnot. But you know, at the end of the day, you're playing. You have a chance to win a Stanley Cup, and I think that's you know, that's the great part about, you know, us coming back to do and, and what uh, we're going to be working for here. So um, I think that just kind of, you know, that in itself uh, gets you really fired up and, and really, you know, happy to be back and, and get going. I mean, Luke, uh, you know, pivoting from the team play with the Vancouver Canucks and the Minnesota Wild, I want to kind of dig into you a little bit personally. You know, it's well documented, and I knew from our days working out together, you know, you're a type 1 diabetic and – you and Max Domi, my former teammate in Arizona, you're the first two guys I kind of thought about with this COVID and the situation and, and the and the bubble, of course, and you're starting to see players opt out voluntarily. Um, have you made a decision one way or another if you are going to play? Yeah, so um, I saw Domi's going to take some time here to you know probably talk with his doctor, see what's best for him. For me, after speaking with uh, our medical staff, who's been great helping me out through the whole process, you know, whether it's doctors, trainers, you name it. And then also my endocrinologist, um, you know, we're, we're all okay with, uh, they're all okay. And, and, 
think it's it's fine for me to play, and obviously that's what I want to do. So um, I'm I'm in. I'm good to go. What was that process like in terms of the types of questions you would ask those doctors that settle your mind to know that okay, it'll be safe enough for me to play? Yeah, I think it's just. I mean, it's probably hard for them as well with this this you know virus. It's it's new. It's they don't have all the answers, um, and I think it's kind of. I've always done a good job taking care of myself and, and trying to be in the best, uh, you know, best shape I can be in, taking care of my diet, all the things I need to do, you know, on a normal without this virus to, to be, uh, to be healthy and have success at this high level. And, um, I think, you know, them seeing that and how I, how I kind of do everything and take care of myself, um, you know, probably helped to, to know that we should be all good to go. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, Hockey is what I do. That's what, you know, really the only thing I want to do and all I really worry about. I don't really, obviously, you got to worry and think about the diabetes and it's a part of you. And, but uh, for me now, it's just, you know, it, it is what it is and you got to take care of it. But, uh, you know, I, I was playing. Another uh, former teammate, former blue, actually, BJ Crombie, and he had mm-hmm. similar to you. Luke, I remember him just, you know, shooting the insulin between periods. I guess for the fans and for myself, too, because I guess I don't know the full depth of it. What, how does your life as a hockey player differ in general on a day-to-day basis than uh, just a normal hockey player, let's say? Yeah, I mean, not too different. Obviously, um, I, I have to stay on top of my blood sugars where that's testing my blood, uh, making sure you're in range. And then, um, you know, basically every meal I'm taking uh, taking an insulin shot, counting up, you know, the carbs and kind of figuring out what I'm what I'm going to be eating and then obviously you got to stay on top of it you're gonna you know you're gonna be a little high sometimes you're gonna be a little low with uh, with the blood sugars and um you know it, it, there's no exact way to do it no exact science kind of behind it and just I guess just be mature be responsible about how you take care of it that's kind of how I go about it and uh you know after you do it for so long you kind of figure out the you know, kind of the trends, what happens, you know, you play and you get the adrenaline up and, you know, certain things might affect uh, the sugars one way or another practice off days, um, certain things you eat and just kind of, you know, I guess just really staying on top of that and just kind of knowing your body, feeling it out. And, um, so yeah, I mean, you got to do a little more than other guys, but, uh, you know, I look at it as, you know, it is what it is. It's what I got. Um, could be a lot worse. So, um, just got to take care of it. Luke, do you guys feel, uh, from a Minnesota Wild standpoint, like there's a second lease on life right now with the way that this setup has been, whereas before it's, okay, we've got 10 games to go and we're two points out of a playoff spot, but now we're in. Now you win a best of five. You win three out of five, and you're in the opening round of the playoffs, so it is is very much in your control. Yeah, I mean, we really like the way we were playing um, towards, towards the, you know, I guess before the shutdown. Um, you know, we were playing some really good hockey. We were coming together. We were a really tight knit group. Um, you know, and we were winning some hockey games and, and we really believed that we were going to claw our way in there. Um, and you know, now, now we're in, um, you know, that's kind of, we were talking about it before the, before the break or, you know, our last game we weren't in and, you know, you come back together and you're in, right. So you got a chance to do something special and that's just kind of how, how we're looking at it. We got a chance to, uh, you know, win some hockey games and, and play for a Stanley cup. What do you think about the new coach there, Luke? I know Billy Guerin, good friend of mine, uh, and the decision um, to remove the interim tag. Have you noticed a transition or a shift from the Boudreaux days? He's uh, he's been great, um, Dino. He, he's he's awesome. He, he's very his communication skills are unbelievable. Um, he he's great with the young. You know, we have some young guys and and some older guys like we were talking about, and he I think he's got a great feel with how 
how to handle the room. And, um, you know, I think you could kind of see it towards the end there, how we were playing and, and the, you know, kind of the style we were playing, it was great. Um, and I, I know all the guys, uh, like playing for him and, and, uh, we were doing some good things. So we just want to kind of pick up where we left off and keep doing that. Well, Luke, I, after your freshman year, your first year there at University of Wisconsin in 2016, I had a conversation with Donnie Granato, and he was singing your praises about the leadership he saw just even after one year and what you would mean to that uh, to that school and being there. And in this case, it was for two seasons, and it's been fun watching you grow from that into a National Hockey Leaguer from afar. Thanks for giving us a few minutes today, and best of luck as as you head into the bubble. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, take care, bud. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it, buddy. That is that is Luke Cunning uh, joining us here on This Week in Hockey, and uh, we've got a lot more to come. You're still going to hear from Jordan Bennington and, and, and Alex Petrangelo and Chris Thorburn and and many, uh, well, and a lot of other topics still going around in terms of how this thing is going to get pulled off. That's all coming your way yet on This Week in Hockey right here on 101 ESPN. Welcome back into hour number two of This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale with Mike Ryder with you here this evening. Glad to have you with us again as, man, it's fun to actually just start yapping about hockey. Like, you start mm-hmm. to think about matchups. And Blues in Colorado, October or, or August 2nd, a healthy Nathan McKinnon. And, my good, like, like those games, Joe, Blues in Colorado in the last two years have been as good mm-hmm. as oh, any opponent – the St. Louis Blues have had, and both teams have won. You know, you know, but both teams have, have found ways to win. It, th- this is just going to be something awesome to start out with. I, I hope it is. I mean, do you think that we're going to see high intensity hockey in these round robin games right from the get go? Are we going to? Because, because my concern is, I think it could be a little, a little spring training ish. Ish, I think. I, I think you got to get Billy Huso in a game. Yep. I think you have to. I think maybe even get the fourth goalie in the game. You know, Doug Armstrong actually, to that point, has has said, in a conversation I had with him, has said, yeah, I think, I don't know that they're going to get Hofer into a game. Okay. I don't see that. I, I could see them maybe part of, one, you know, the early the early camp games, if there's one or two of those, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I could easily see Huso, well, actually, I think you got to play Bennington in two of them, don't you? I think you do. I think you've got to play. So maybe Hofer gets maybe Hofer gets the workout now with them having four goalies in camp. They bring three goalies with them. They keep one of them, they keep Hofer ready in the wings in case there's an injury because you can add a goalie later if you there's an injury. One later. You can add one. Doug Armstrong one did say that, okay. Yeah, the league is aware of that, so they'll go with three goalies. So I I got to think that maybe maybe that first kind of that that training camp game that they're going to play. Maybe that maybe that's the one or one of those first two you play Huso and then it's Jake and Bennington going in the other two. Oh, so you're just gonna give Benny just one game? No, I think no, that's what I'm saying. If if you have four games, I think Huso four games counting the spring counting the oh, training camp game. Okay, gotcha. Counting the training camp game, you have four games. I think Huso should get one, Allen gets one, and Benner gets two. Gotcha. The last two? Two of the last three. Two of the last three. Uh, you know, two of the last which is why I'm thinking Huso, the yeah. first one. It's tough because you need to have your team ready yeah. and playing at the optimal level starting game one. But you but do all- you really? Like, cause so Alex Petrangelo touched on this, and and this is this is the mindset of these guys, which I'm like, you know, they keep asking, "Well, are you guys ready to shorten window?" I mean, look, they're going to be practicing for several weeks before they play a game in a normal camp situation. 
they practice for all of about three and a half days before a, a, a game starts, right? I, I, the reason I say, do you, do you, like, I don't know that they need to be firing on all cylinders in game one or two of the seeding games. I, I think you really use those as honing games, and that's the advantage that you've been given by earning the right to be in those. I don't know if they're. I'm not going to call them honing in games. I think it needs to be another level just above that. I remember, like, the playoff games. You're, you're exhausted before the game even starts. I mean, the anxiety and the stress level and the lack of sleep. Right. And I think that, I think that, you know, I'm going to ask Phil Bork here in a little bit, but I, I curbs, I feel right now that the team that does the best of five play in, in some respects, I think they're going to have a little bit of an advantage over a top four seed team that just played a bunch of round robin games. I don't disagree with you. Because I think that they have found that level and they're walking into an arena where maybe that other team, whether it be the first or the third seed, doesn't matter. Maybe they haven't found that edge just yet. It may take them a couple games to find that edge, and that may be too late. So if I'm Craig Berube, I think I'm 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 careful about how I do the first two. But by three and four, I'm maybe not smashing guys 50 hits per game for team stats, but but I'm getting close to it. I, I want guys to be treating those games as if they're a game one of a player playoff series just to get that anxiety and, and, and to get that going at least just a little bit. Well, that's one of the reasons that owners, GMs, presidents of hockey ops, they wanted that. Those those that seeding scenario, mm-hmm. you had to come up with some way. You couldn't just have a team sitting and waiting while another team played as many as five games. Mm-hmm. Now, as we've already seen the results of what happens when a team would come off their bye week and play a team that yep. did not have their bye week, mm-hmm. the team that did not have their bye week, they were winning 85 to 90% of those games. Mm-hmm. So that is why that's important. However, the Blues are going to have an opportunity to get some more players into some games that those other teams didn't have. In other words, if you're completely healthy and you're going to figure out, okay, how are we going to work the defense? How are we going to play this through? You're going to have the ability to get some of those guys in. That might give you an advantage. You know, for example, let's say you're the Chicago Blackhawks uh, and you you are lucky enough to advance, right? Okay, and and so the, the Chicago Blackhawks move on in, into the round. And have an injury in game five or in game one, they may they may have to put somebody in that hasn't played a game of hockey now in in, in five months, mm-hmm. right, playing their first game. The Blues at least have the ability, or at least the ability to make the decision mm-hmm. to get guys a game where those other teams may not. Well, and maybe the compete four positions is enough competition for some of these guys. Like, so if you're, let me That's give a good you, point. you know, yep. like if you're Zach Sanford or Sammy Blay, I think if you ask them, they would admit that they're not inked into this lineup just yet. You know, I think I think Sanford more than Sammy Blay, but I think Sammy Blay is, is a pencil, and I, he'd be the first to say it because he understands Craig Berube and his style. And if if you're not on, you're out. So I think if you're Sammy Blay, if you're Jordan Cairo, Jordan Cairo is gonna gonna see a game before the first round. He will. I don't believe he's in the if the first game was right now, I think Jordan Cairo's on the outside looking in. I think it's going to be Sanford and Blay on that left side, so I think Jordan, but Jordan to me is going to be a player chomping at that bit, whether it be the second game or the third game or the exhibition game, to, to open some eyes and to show Craig Berube that, hey, I want to be in this lineup, come round one, whoever the heck we're playing. So maybe, again, that's that's that inner team competition. Maybe Jake and Bennington the same thing. You know, I, I I just I I know Benny's the guy, but I don't know if Jake fully believes that yet either. I think he wants to go out. I think he's got a lot you? to prove. I think he Absolutely. does. Absolutely, and I think those guys are going to be like, 
you know, you let up two yesterday, I'm going to let up one today. I think they're going to go back at it. So maybe that inter-team competition is is all the Blues need to get ready for the first round. I mean, we'll see. Unless, unless in the games that Jordan played, he looks really bad, mm-hmm. right? Or an injury. I can't see another scenario where he's not starting game one. No oh, no, he's what. playing. He's no the guy. No matter what. He's the I mean, guy. Game one of the actual playoffs. He's the guy. He's the ace, without question. We do not have a, a goalie. He's earned here. that, hasn't he's he? He absolutely yeah, has. Okay. But my but my thing is, I don't think Jake's just going to roll over and accept the fact that he's the backup. I think I can see Jake going out there and playing Actually, unbelievably. And then Jordan's going to have a lot to prove, too, that I know I'm the guy, but I, I still got to. I still got to be – I want to be good here. Does that make sense? Joe, I, th- I think based on the fact that you're going to have players and goaltenders coming in playing games and you and it is not – you don't have the regular season that has prepped you for this. I think you could see more goalie tandems mm-hmm. being used as the way to accomplish wins in these first couple rounds of the playoffs than you ever have before. In what way? Well, in, in the sense that – you know, I, I could see a coach being more willing if you've got a solid 1-1A one one situation like the Blues have. Mm-hmm. I could see a coach being willing to play that other guy, you know, as 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 just part of the process to win mm-hmm. as much as just riding a guy for 26 straight games. Well, and the other thing, too, I mean, look what's going on in Pittsburgh right now, Curbs. There's nine players that have to sit out because they were, it was, I guess they're calling it a secondary exposure to yep. a possible COVID. I mean, what if that happens in Edmonton? What if that happens in the second round? And what if Jordan Bennington's uh, in a group of people that have possibly been exposed to it? And let's say we're getting close to game time. And what if we don't have any answers yet? I mean, I, I do believe that not only through poor play, I think I think players will get an opportunity because of the virus, because of precautions leading to the virus, or a lot of other scenarios are going to play out. There's going to be a lot of wrinkles in this thing. And if, if I'm Jacob Delarose, if I'm Troy Brower, who, by the way, I'm just super impressed with, uh, being out there and working the way he skates right now. I mean, what has this guy got to prove, essentially? I mean, he's essentially, right. his career's done. He's not worried he could about, have opted out. He's opted out. He's not worried about escrow for three years. But right. here he is sweating. He's in the, probably the best shape of his life. You talk about a pro's pro. I I, I would not be surprised if we see him in, in, in a, I think we're going to see okay. him at some point. All right, so in the last segment of this hour, okay, so we're, you're going to hear from Chris Thorburn in just a moment, and then you're going to hear from Phil Bork. In the last segment of this hour, I'll tell you who I think is, at least in my opinion, the important swing man for the St. Louis Blues. One guy. I'll give you one guy. If you think about this, too, who, who one guy, and we'll see, if we see, we'll see if we agree on this. What do you mean by swing man? One though? swing man. Basically, the, a guy that's, that, that should play and can play a huge role, but also could be a bubble guy. Okay. All right, is is how I'm defining swing man. There. Okay. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, Chris Thorburn, we'll follow it up with Phil Bork, and then our swing men and a little CBA to finish up the hour. We'll come back in a moment on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back to This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale alongside with you. This is hour number two. I'm pleased to be joined by former Blue, former NHLer Chris Thorburn. And Thorbs, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, from doing the media circuit, and uh, thanks for coming on uh, with us tonight, you've almost done as many interviews uh, in the last two months as you probably did in the last year and a half. <laughs> right? It feels like I'm campaigning. I mean, I might, be, I might run the president. 
Thorbs, I'm pretty sure there's a shot at you and all our no, sports was liners. Not. <laughs> was it not? No, you guys, listen, you guys, after working with Chase for 18 years, you know I got far more respect for anybody on the fourth line that I would never do that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Thorbs, uh, let's start out with this. You, you picked a uh, hell of a year to retire. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought retirement was going to be, you know, going on some family vacations and, uh, you know, unwind the, the way I wanted to as far as, uh, I mean, I guess not do anything because right now I'm kind of doing nothing. But, uh, yeah, I just pictured it being a lot different um, under the circumstances. I never expected, uh, you know, a pandemic to come across and kind of be stuck at home, really. But, uh you know, for all the time I lost being a family guy throughout my career, uh, it's nice to kind of get it back and uh, be around as much as I have. Although I would love a road trip uh, here and there. Are you getting the itch, you know, Chris, because I talked to a lot of guys that retire. I remember my personal experience. I want to say for me it was around a half a year, maybe eight months, where I started to get that itch. Because as much as you love being home with the family and you love just uh, making up for lost time, uh, have, have you gotten that feeling yet, or are you just really enjoying your family time? Oh, Joe, I mean um, – I gotta say, like I don't, I don't miss the the getting dressed part of it. Uh, I definitely don't miss chasing a puck two hundred feet, running to the end, wall, uh, you know, the end boards and uh, that kind of stuff. But I miss the uh, the close knit uh, atmosphere with the guys and the, the camaraderie and that kind of stuff. I, I truly, really miss that. Um, I, I do miss competing. But uh, I don't have the itch like I thought I would. And I always told myself my last year, I'm like, remember these times. Remember how hard and the grind of the season, like when like I'm not playing. Just So I always kind of reflect back on those moments. And it kind of puts me at ease a little bit. But um, being around the guys and the communication and the relationships that you have uh, as a player, those are the things that I miss the most for sure. Look, there is a real charge with competition and i mean look even as a broadcaster you feel it in there just Mm -hmm. especially when you're broadcasting for a team and you're rooting for the guys you know that are on the team you're covering as an athlete and this is a question really for both of you and and i know chris it's still very early on in the process for you joe it's been a couple years now but how do you think as an athlete that competition switch gets flipped to where somehow normal everyday life takes over when that competition has been a part of your life for so doggone long. Yeah, and you probably asked my wife, but she probably will answer this one good. But like, I, it's almost like inner competition. Like, okay, I put the garbage cans out of our driveway in like two point, you know, seven <laughs> minutes. And last last week I did it in three minutes. You know what I mean? So my time's getting better, and like just like little things like that, like. Even with my kids, like playing basketball or playing outside, it's just like mom was just like, "Chris, calm down. Like they're your kids. You know what I mean." So there's that there's that part of me that hasn't left as far as the competitive uh, stuff, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just I'm not having a hard time as far as stepping onto the ice and playing. As weird as that might sound, but I just I'm not there yet. You know what I mean? So. Um, yeah, I don't know if Joe, Joe, if you have any different feelings, but I, like you just said, you do miss it. But at the same time, like I said, the, the camaraderie part is what I miss the most. The competitive part, obviously, too. But um, yeah, just uh, I'm kind of at ease at it right now. Not to say that's not going to change, but right now I'm, I'm in a good place. I'm a little bit like you, Chris. I always tell people when they ask me that question, I say I loved playing the game of hockey but I also love not playing the game of hockey, if that makes any sense yeah. at all. Because as much as you loved it, I also love not doing it anymore because, to, to your point, about the grind and the day in and day out. And, and that grind is kind of, I guess, my next question for you, Chris. 
what are these players? What is? I mean, you are only less than a year away from retiring, being away from this game. What is going through these players' minds? If you were in that locker room right now, what would be the biggest challenge for any Blues player a week, week and a half away from going to this bubble in Edmonton? Yeah, I think understand like believing and understanding that the game hasn't totally left your body. Like the way you see the game, the way you play the game before this thing happened, like it's still there. It's just going to take a little bit of time to kind of get back up to speed. I was like talking with some friends outside of the organization of uh, St. Louis and in, uh, in the organization as well. They were just more nervous about the fact of uh, not skating for like 40 whatever days it was and that kind of stuff. But these guys are such professionals and um, they're so skilled at, at what they do. It's, it's, it's just all muscle memory. So it's all going to come back naturally. It's just they, they got to just trust in the process and making sure that, um, you know, they're doing the right things to kind of prevent those injuries or those, you know, sudden tweaks. But other than that, I, I believe that they're they're going to be fine. And they, St. Louis has such great guidance with the coaching staff led by, uh, by Chief. So there's not a doubt in my mind that these guys are going to be ready to run. Did you reach out or have any uh, conversations or exchanges with teammates, say uh, former teammates in Winnipeg or, or one of these teams that might have been on the outside looking in if the playoffs had just started with the top eight and now have a second chance to compete for the Stanley Cup? Uh, not not so much. I've talked to a couple that didn't make the, the cut. Um, and then obviously some uh, the majority of them have been in it. So Because uh, I was just curious like how they're getting through. Like What are they doing? Like uh, in-house workouts? or I was just curious on how all that stuff goes. Because for me, I just don't know how I would have been able to do it. Um, obviously, there's a lot of us that have family. Joe, you have family. So to be able to mix in a workout with the grind of this pandemic, I just I don't know where you find the time. But these guys, they have, they have it all figured out. They're structured. They're machines, so they get it done. But um, not not so much anyone that has that kind of second opportunity that you're talking about, Curbs. More just the fact that the guys that are getting ready to kind of do it and then also the guys that don't even have a chance at it. Thorbs, how are these Blues players going to stay sane in Edmonton in a bubble if they make a huge run at this thing for two months? I mean, is the personality of this group, are, are there card players that are just going to occupy rooms in the hotel room is it video games i mean you know this group what, what are they going to do yeah. to stay sane i think you, you i mean you hit it right there uh last year i mean it was uh when they weren't dialed in and uh getting ready for games we uh we'd have uh like a hospitality room set up and there's so much like cool personalities in on that team and in that locker room that i don't think they'll have a hard time uh staying sane i mean obviously you know Stuff's gonna wear on them, but they're only like they're human. But at the same time, they'll find ways to kind of divert that and uh, rechannel it. And it's through card games or uh, you know poker or pass the ace or you know some other games that they uh, they get involved in. And also, like you said, the video games is obviously huge with the young kids. Uh, they play them on computers now, which I don't know if you guys knew that, but so they got <laughs> they got a lot they got a lot of options, you know, as far as uh, passing by some time. Curbs isn't that old, though. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> no, but I will tell you. I will tell you when well, I said. It's, it's not Tetris. Tetris. <laughs> Tetris on a Game Boy? Uh, it's not It's not in television. Well, by the way, I, so we just we just refinished our, our basement. And part of what one of the setups that I'm trying to figure out how to do is I have like an old, like one of the old Ataris oh, and in television the Atari with, the games, no, no. with the games. So I'm going to pull that out so when friends come over, if they want to go back to the old pitfall or some of the classic games <laughs> they've, they've got the chance yeah. to do it uh you know and but listen i so the blues have called up some players 
you know, mm-hmm. from the American Hockey League. And next season, uh, they'll be affiliated with the Thunderbirds in Springfield, the San Antonio a franchise that don't, no longer exists. But a couple right. of these guys that you played with over that last year, uh, you know, for example, um, uh, the growth of Clem Costin. You know, what do you yeah. see with a couple of these guys, maybe start specifically with Clem, that, that, that could see him take another step towards helping out an NHL team? Yeah, I think I think Clem is so tailored for the new NHL, um, but he also has that physical element. He's got the skill, he's got the shot. His shot is ridiculous. Um, it's just a matter of him getting comfortable in the North American environment, and he's been here for a few years now, so it, it's gradually coming. And um, when I was with him from the start of the year to the end of the year, the gains he made not not just on the ice, but just in the locker room and like being comfortable around players, the, the conversations that I had with him personally. Like he, he gets it, and he just wants to learn. Um, it's just a matter of the guidance, and the Blues have done a great job with like video clips, and, and sometimes it's frustrating. I mean, the kid's young, and um, he's just got to be guided a little bit, but at the same time, uh, he's been a great project, and, and the rewards are, I, I believe that they're there for him um, in the future, and he's going to be a, a big part of the Blues organization going forward. Well, Chris, hey, man, thanks so much for your time. And I know you're extremely busy with the little ones and, and racing out to the, getting the garbage can to the street as fast as you can. So I hate, <laughs> what is your, what, yeah. do, do you have a record? Like, like how fast can you take the garbage out? Well, dude, my, my, my driveway is 400 feet from the, the, the uh, sorry, the street to my house, my front door. So, like, I got two big bins that I got to wheel out every Thursday. So I, I clip probably – probably about seven miles an hour and i could mm. probably do it in yeah probably about 11 seconds have like you dumped I, one I, has one tipped over on you i have not but they, i've got them on the side wheels and it's, you know what i mean like it, it's pretty some of the, sometimes it's pretty interesting and then if it's dark out you know i got frogs on the driveway i got snakes running across too because we're in the country so it's just like he's a beat so i got some obstacles so sometimes my, my numbers my numbers reflect that you know what i mean <laughs> We gotta get this on video. Oh, yeah, they're jumping over snakes, landing on frogs. That's getting, how you stayed oh, so jacked yeah. through all these years. It wasn't what you're doing in the weight room. You're, you're yeah. basically hauling two trash bins over a football length <laughs> to the end of the street. Like, I'm uh, uh, just running away from all these insects and critters. <laughs> I don't want to get bit. <laughs> Chris, uh, hey, great catching up with you again, buddy. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll, we'll see you down the road here soon. We hope. Uh, sounds good, guys. Take care. Stay safe. All right. That is Chris Thorburn joining us. We'll take a quick break. Hey, we're going to go to the Eastern Conference when we come back. Phil Bork, broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is one of those kind of teams that, I don't know, is this is this startup really fair for those guys? We'll talk about it with Phil Bork when we come back in a moment on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale with you as we roll through our number two. Listen, if you missed any part of – the show where we've talked to and heard from Doug Armstrong or Luke Cunning and Jordan Bennington and Alex Petrangelo and, and many others, you know, make sure you check out the podcast at 101ESPN.com. You can subscribe to that and then listen to it at any time you want. All right, let's keep rolling on along with this hour. And we're pleased to be joined by Pittsburgh broadcaster and former Penguin Phil Bork. Phil, how are you doing, bud? Hey, Curbs. It's Joey Z. I'm doing well. Hanging in there. Excited that, uh, Hockey is kind of getting going. The last couple of days I've been at Penguins practice and looking really looking forward to August 1st. Borky, we were just talking to Chris Thorburn, a former huge fan of the old 2-9er. He wanted to tell, make sure we tell you hi. Is there any better guy in the game than him? I don't know. Um, that was the, 
I was at, I think you know, I was at Game 7 um, in Boston. I'm from Boston. I was at Game 7, and the first person I text after you guys won the Cup was Chris Thorburn. And for just that reason, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, great teammates, compete level off the charts. Um, you know, what he didn't have in skill and finish and finesse, he made up in a lot of other ways and just an incredible career. Uh, it's great to see a guy like that win. He deserves it. you, you got to tell that story real quick that you and, and Thorbs are sharing. Oh, we are talking about the – remember the GST line in Winnipeg there, Borky? Sure. So it was uh, Tanner Glass, another former Penguin. It was yeah. – was it uh, Slater? What was his first name? The centerman, the short little guy in Winnipeg. I can't remember. Yeah, Slater was the last name. It was Thorburn. So it was Glass, Slater, Thorburn, yeah. GST, yeah. or the, the tax in Canada. And I remember when we were Thor- Thorbs and I were laughing. I remember calling this game with Langer. But we were in Winnipeg, and Sidney Crosby's line had the fourth line of Thorburn, Glass, and Slater just hemmed in their zone <laughs> for minutes. I'm talking three and a half, four minutes. The crowd was getting antsy, and all of a sudden, the crowd got on their feet. I don't know if you remember this. They started chanting, GST. GST. And the crowd was going nuts. And Thorbs finally chips it out to the neutral zone and they got a change. And you would have thought they scored the game seven overtime winner. The place absolutely erupted. Do you remember all that? I, I do remember that. And you know as well as I do that, you know, being around a winning team like that, you need guys like that. Mm-hmm. You need guys that you kind of pull for. And, you know, maybe you didn't see much action in the playoffs, but. You know, when you are one of those regular guys, you come in the room and you know it's absolutely killing him to not be out there on the ice, but to be in there and unselfishly just cheering everybody on, working his tail off at practice. You know, guys like that, you you pull a little extra heavier on the rope for guys like that because you know how badly they want to win and how much it kills them not to be in there on a ship-to-ship basis. We're joined by Phil Burke, Phil Bork of the Pittsburgh Penguins here on this week in hockey. Phil, when this, when the National Hockey League came out with their return to play scenarios, they negotiated with the players obviously and determined how they were going to handle the return to play. And the top four teams in each uh, division, based on win percentage in each conference, rather, basically got the bye. The others have to play the play in round. When, when there was some outcries of it kind of being unfair for the teams that looked like they were a lock for the playoffs to still have to play that play-in round, in all honesty, the only team that I felt really had a legitimate beef with this would have been the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the reason was is, you know, you're sitting five, six points over, over Toronto and Columbus, so you're up there more. All these other teams were then just, you know, for example, Carolina right behind you at the time of the pause was only in the playoffs essentially by one point. And they were really tied with the number with the number nine seed. As once these teams kind of got through that, okay, this may not be completely fair in that situation, what have you sensed around the Penguins in terms of moving forward with the challenge ahead of, of having to play the, the Montreal Canadiens? Curbs, not once, whether coach, uh, player, uh, other member of the media, not I have not heard one ounce of complaining about what's what's happened the way this has all played out now if you're part of the boston bruins maybe you're saying oh man like you know if we don't play good in this play in we could clearly go from being number one overall we're going to drop down to fourth and probably have to play the penguins um if they get through the montreal Canadiens. so you're thinking well that's not i mean that's not great because we're clearly going to win the president's trophy and be number one overall in home ice throughout the playoffs and that could change because of the play-in but in no way are the Penguins complaining at all. You know, I've started doing a little segment on 
the Penguins' website called Five Questions with Mike Sullivan, and I kind of posed that to him. And he basically was very blunt, as he is, and said, you know, we don't care if it's in Siberia or if it's down in uh, Argentina. Wherever you want to play the games, however you want to play them, we're ready to roll. And I think that's kind of that's a winner's mentality, right? I mean, right. whatever you want to throw me, we control the, the controllables. Uh, and anything that's uncontrollable, we don't worry about. We don't waste our time or energy worrying about it. We're going to go about our business. Just tell us where we have to be and when we have to be there, and we're going to go win the hockey game. And when we do that, we're going to win the next hockey game. That's the mentality they have here. Well, Phil, um, you know, you've won your Cups during the Mary Lemieux days. You've been there. You've been on the ice. You remember the playoffs. You remember you remember that feeling, you know, of just the urgency and getting out there and wanting to get after it. So my question, I guess, would be this. You're talking about playing the Montreal Canadiens in a play-in best of five. And then let's say you have to move on to face the Boston Bruins. As a player, do you think there is maybe a slight advantage one way or another for a team that has to go through that best of five versus a team that maybe was playing three, let's just call them, summer hockey consolation games? I think there, yeah, there's something to that, Joe. I think, yeah, uh, being on edge and you know playing for your playoff life in that first round because the reality is that if, if you don't win the best of five against the Habs, then you're going home. And all this prep that you're doing right now was just really a big old waste, wasn't it? Uh, so, yeah, to have that urgency and to get into that mental mindset of win or go home compared to the teams that are in those play-ins that maybe you rest a few guys, maybe they don't play all four games, maybe you play, you know, you split the goaltenders down the middle, uh, and, and you don't really have that urgency. If, if you don't win, you don't win, you know you're moving on to the next round no matter what. So I guess there's something to that, yeah, that – at this time of the year, I think the team that gets into that, that mental mindset of win or go home and have that urgency and have, play with that edge and, and kind of have that anxiety and that pit in your stomach before every single game, yeah, there's something to that to make you play your best hockey. Because the team that comes out of the gate the quickest here and, and hits the ground running could just roll right through this thing. Okay, so here's what's changed the most is the fact that instead of going into the playoffs – after a grueling 82-game regular season and already having bumps and bruises that you're just trying to nurse through another grueling grind of the playoffs. Now you've got everybody pretty much rested and for the most part healthy. But even more so than that, it's teams that had players that would not have been available at least early in the playoffs, if at all, are now now have these players available. From that standpoint, Phil... What is the Pittsburgh Penguins situation now from a health standpoint versus what it would have been if the playoffs had started in that first week of April? Well, let's start with the negative first. And that is a couple of players will not be available that we didn't really know what their status was going to be when we went on this pause in the middle of March. And that is Nick Bukestad and Dominic Simon. They are out. Uh, they will not partake in any kind of play-in or playoffs. So that's for certain. But the biggest news, in Penguini land is ha- able to have Jake Gensel back and have Jake Gensel play on the left side with Sidney Crosby. That has this organization almost giddy. Uh, we're not trying to get too excited because we know the, the road ahead is full of potholes and, and uh, just a real grind. We understand that. But to get Jake Gensel back and to get him back with Sidney Crosby, what could happen you can't help but kind of just take a peek down the road a little bit and think about what could happen here and and maybe another Stanley Cup coming down this road uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So 
that's the biggest news. To get Jake Ensel back, who was out with a major shoulder injury, had surgery, uh, and no way was going to be ready for the first round of the playoffs. Now, because of this break, Jake Ensel's back and 100% healthy. Borky, I'm looking at Ryan O'Reilly on the ice today at our Centene practice facility, and I'm just thinking of the leader and the horse that he is for this group, leading by example. You brought up Sidney Crosby. I remember our time back in 13 and 14 during the lockout. It didn't matter. November, December, guys would come in in the morning. They they were just you know rumors of bad news, more bad news. We're going to lose the season. And we go out and we probably had the hardest skate that day than the entire season. So my, my thing is this. How important – is it for Blues to have a Ryan O'Reilly and for Penguins fans to have a Sidney Crosby, to have a captain that is just such a horse and such a leader um, in this regard, especially in awkward and uncomfortable and uncertain times like right now? Here's what I'll say about that. And, and you're right. There's, there's something about players that are cut from that cloth, like Sid and, and like Ryan. Is There's nothing phony or pretentious about them uh, because you get to this level and – all your teammates have seen good captains and bad captains, and they know what the good ones look like, and they know what the bad ones look like, and you can't fake it. You can't fake your way through uh, being a, a leader uh, at, at that level that they are, and it's by example. I mean, there's certain words you can say and there's certain ways that you can carry yourself and endear yourself to your teammates, uh, being a great teammate, but being a great friend too, and Sid does all that. Sid has been in constant contact with all of his teammates, no matter where they were. And they went back overseas. He stays in contact with them. And now that they've gone to level three, he has ramped up the urgency, not only off the ice with, you know, let's do the right thing. Let's watch who we're, we're hanging out with. And, 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 you know, let's not bring anything back into this locker room. Those little details, those are little things. But just the way he's been carrying himself on the ice, Joe, he is absolutely flying out there. It's, it's unbelievable the trickle down. I see the way Evgeny Malkin carries himself. I see the way Chris Letang carries himself. And, you know, I think if Sid wasn't here, I think they, you know, they can have a little bit of lackadaisicalness into their game. Not with Sid. Not the way he carries himself and not the way that he brings his work ethic every single day. Phil, uh, we appreciate you giving us a little bit of time today, man. Thank, thanks for helping us out. Uh, we appreciate it a great deal. And, man, best of luck. There's one thing, and I mentioned this earlier in the show. There's something when you go on to NHL.com and you see games now and you see that in one day, for example, August 1st, you're going to see the Carolina Hurricanes against the Rangers, the Blackhawks against the Oilers, Panthers against the Islanders, Penguins against the Canadians, and the Jets against the Flames. And you're going, oh, my God, I can't wait to get to August 1st. Nice. Like, like, that's just going to be all day have the TV on, uh, you know, while we're doing it and then getting ready to obviously broadcast off a monitor. But this should be exciting as all heck. It should be, Curves. I agree with you. I, I can't wait for puck drops to anticipate, you know, the unknown, really, right? There's yeah. a lot of unknowns as broadcasters with the monitors, with no fans in the in the crowd. Um, you know, who's going to be ready? Who's not going to be ready? What goaltender is going to, you know, sustain an injury early? And, you know, who knows? You know, somebody might get the COVID, you know, a key player, and, and we, we might have to take a step backwards. Who knows? With all these unknowns, it makes it exciting, too. And, you know, I, I'm all for putting an asterisk next to this Stanley Cup, not because there's something wrong with it, just because it's going to be the most difficult Stanley Cup to ever to, to win. And some teams are going to have to win 19 games to win the Stanley Cup, and that would have to be the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I mentioned this to Joe. I got my fingers crossed. Penns 
and Blues mm. Stanley Cup Final. Oh. Let's get it on, boys. And then hope we're able to be there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. Phil, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Good luck down there, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Good luck to you boys, too. I enjoyed our time together, and this was. Uh, that, is, that was a lot of fun talking hockey that way. That's, that's Phil Bork. We'll take a break. Come back in a moment on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, one final time, we bring you back into This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale with you tomorrow night. We've got Behind the Bench presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. You'll hear from Jordan Bennington. You'll hear from Alex Petrangelo, Ryan O'Reilly. We're going to take you back. We're going to give you some of the insights from Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. Also more from Doug Armstrong. That's all tomorrow night. Following the fast lane right at 6 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. And don't forget, stay tuned to stlouisblues.com and 101ESPN.com for all your latest and updated news as we get things started. And the broadcast will be live and they will be here on 101 ESPN. And who knows? Like we're so he, so here's the deal for we're waiting to find out from the National Hockey League. First off, just full disclosure, we're not going to Edmonton. The league is not allowing it. And I actually as, as disappointing as that is to not be able to be there and experience this and, and be able to tell that story with boots on the ground. Um, in the end, it does feel like it's the right decision because if one of us were to get COVID while we're up there and now you're in a hotel room and you're not doing the games, there's plus I'm also convinced now that you go, oh, you can, if you can keep 50 people safe, you can keep 52. But every single one person you add into that bubble is one just more mm-hmm. person at risk. And so I'm fine with the decision that was made, and we'll make the best of it. And Joe, maybe, who knows? We're waiting to find out how the league is going to transmit the signal of the game, the video of the game back to us, and what it all going to entail. But I don't know about you. I'm 100% up for doing these games from a local bar. God, a local bar. Let's, let's call it a bar. Let's social distance. Let's sell some tables for the, the tabletops for charity, and then the bar makes the money off the uh, – like, I'm, I'm all for that. So whether or not that will happen at the very beginning, we'll see. But if, 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 we, if the Blues go on a playoff run, I, you and I are going to be broadcasting some of these games from a bar somewhere. What about like a outdoor watch party, like the old school drive-ins? You know, where where my, our grandma and grandpa used to listen. So to they're drinking Shirley Temples yeah. and their, their Corvettes or their Cadillacs. And Randy Gersh is planning those as we speak. Are they okay? Watch good. parties and stuff. So maybe we do it from one of those watch parties. Set up a booth by the third pier. We'll be we'll be sounding like Shannon. It'll be great. <sighs> okay. I know you don't have a problem with that. No, I have no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. If I can sound like a guy that's been doing games for 50 years and had a successful career, I'll be perfectly happy with that. All right, so so stay tuned for that, but uh, we, we will be bringing you the games. And Oh, man, I cannot wait. Okay, so earlier in the hour, we talked about kind of a swingman. Mm-hmm. All right, so here's who I think, based on what we saw was needed on a championship run from a year ago and the way this team is made up now. In my opinion, and we'll see if you agree with this, Zach Sanford becomes the critical swing man for the St. Louis Blues. Okay. Look, you're still going to need Jaden Schwartz to chip in like he did last year. You're going to need guys to get goals early, even if they go on a bit of a drought later in terms of goal scoring, but make key plays like like a Braden Shen, right? But to me, Zach Sanford is the swing man because he's the big body with puck control ability to replace part of the role filled by Pat Maroon. And mm-hmm. I don't think anybody, and I'm not just talking about the Game 7 goal in double overtime, but this team is still predicated on puck control below the goal line and wearing other teams' defenses down. And to me, Zach Sanford 
because I think he's got better puck control ability than Sammy Blay, to me, put Zach Sanford in that critical swing man role that if he can come in and find a way to be impactful, make some plays and hold on to the puck down low, that's a huge bonus for the Blues on that line with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. You know, I agree with you, Curbs, in the sense that he can be very impactful. I, I disagree in the sense that he could be the guy to replace Pat Maroon because I think you have Sammy Blay who will be instilled in that third line with Robert Thomas and Tyler Bowes. Like, and a lot can change, but in the first two days of camp, Robert Thomas is man in the middle, Tyler Bozak's moved to the right, and they have Sammy Blay in that left, exactly where Pat Maroon played position. I think he's got that heavy style. So I wouldn't put it on Zach Sanford to take over and be that Pat Maroon style of player from a heaviness, physical, chirpy mentality. You know, he's a quiet well, wait, no, Okay, now, I don't think any of these guys are going to fill in on the chirpy part. Right. When I'm talking about replacing style Pat play. Maroon, I'm just, I'm just talking specifically about a big body to control the puck below the goal line. Yeah, I think he is. That's that's where that's the that's the connection. I'm I think there. he certainly has that in him. I think he's proven that curbs. I mean, it seems like ages ago, but just yesterday it was February in January. Zach Sanford was probably the hottest blue yeah. before this break, and I think he. I think that goal in Game Seven versus Boston, the last goal the Blue score, I think that just did wonders from this summer. I think his confidence through the roof. He had a really rough start to the year last year because of a personal incident with his father passing away. I think his confidence starting this past season, he just there was no hangover. He just he just went off and run. And Craig Berube gave him the, the lightning rod, said, "You're our second line guy. Go out there with the peas and carrots of of David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, and you guys figure out some chemistry and get after." And he's done just that. I think he's proven that. I think he is the guy for that position. Uh, but he but he certainly has been shown at, at times to slide. We look at that Winnipeg at the start of the playoffs last year. Well, we were like, something's wrong with Zach Sanford and I curbed. And I was like, you're right, something's wrong with Zach Sanford tonight. And sure enough, he got scratched about three, four, five games there. And it was a while before he got back in. Okay, so so for me, it's Sanford. For you, are you saying for your swingman is Sammy Blair or is it somebody else? I'm going to go with Jordan Cairo. Oh, that's a heck of a pick. I'm going to okay. go with Jordan Cairo because, like Zach Sanford, this kid was playing some pretty lights out hockey before the break. You know, he was. The, the thing about Jordan Cairo for the script for him was, the story about him was, he was a young, very fast player that could score. And I think we saw that. We saw that in spurts. There were a couple camps I thought he was one of the best players. Then the regular season started, and then the big boys came out. And then we saw the, we saw some holes in his game. We saw the lack of good decision-making at critical points in a game or critical areas of the game. I think being hard on pucks, as Curbs and I, we, we talked to Craig Brewer before every game, that seemed to be the story about him. He wasn't hard enough on pucks. Right around Christmas this past year and during this season, something clicked. He was harder on pucks. He was making way better decisions with pucks. He started to get rewarded. He was starting to get points. I felt like there wasn't just – he wasn't a one-dimensional threat. There was something there. And my thing is he's going to be a swingman curves because I think when you face the Colorado Avalanche and you face a fast team like the Vegas Golden Knights – Sometimes I worry about when you have big, experienced, a little bit slower players that maybe that matchup won't look as good. So I think they're going to be calling on Jordan Cairo for simply having his speed to come in and make an impact in the playoffs. Okay, so to that point, if you look at opponents for the St. Louis Blues, all right, even in the play, you've got speed in Colorado, you've got speed in Vegas, mm-hmm. you don't have a ton of speed in Dallas. Not too much. Not, not too much speed in Dallas. But defensemen, defensemen that can defensemen. get up and move. But you've got speed in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. You've got some pretty good speed with Nashville. Absolutely. All right. D that can get up in that group as well. Vancouver, nah, a little bit. I, I put Vancouver a little more on the Dallas side. Yep. I, I don't look at Vancouver as a fast nope. team. 
and they don't play fast. Now, there's a difference. The Blues can play fast. Mm-hmm. They're not a fast team. When they move the puck, okay. they can move. So we're talking just about fast teams. And uh, uh, Winnipeg, Arizona is a team that gave the Blues some fits because of some of that speed. So yeah. I, I'd, I'd say there's probably a good six or seven teams that match some of that speed aspect you're talking about. I think so. And, and this kind of circles back to uh, how important are these by game are these playing games versus these round robin games because you know even if the Blues get a top seed curves I mean what is Arizona at right now what seed are they they're, well they're they're going to be the eleven seed so <laughs> it's going to be Arizona and Nashville that's what I mean so you could bust your butt for all four of these games right and you can get the number one seed and you can end up playing Arizona and it, it sounds pretty good one and eleven but we've had our problems versus Arizona that's why I'm not I don't they know have I'm, made us look. Awful. I don't know why I'm. I'm just. I'm not sold that these players are that concerned about what seed they're going to finish. I don't because, think they are because you again you can work your tail off to play Arizona and get bounced in the first. So round. then back to the original point that we had started off when we talked at the beginning of this hour about it. it might have even been the beginning hour number one, right? Because of that, the players though are going to have to manufacture some way to get that intensity up. Yeah. Because I look. I don't. You no longer have and the player and some of the interviews I did with the players they talked about this. They don't like like Jake Allen said. I don't know how the momentum swings in these games are going to go, mm-hmm. because sometimes those momentum swings are actually fueled by the crowd noise, mm-hmm. either quieting down a crowd or getting a crowd mm-hmm. behind you. Now, without that, you know, when, when a team scores a goal, you don't feel like the building's coming in on you when you're on the road. It's just going to mm-hmm. be another goal. Yeah, right. So the momentum swings and how you handle that. So if you're a good faceoff team like the St. Louis Blues are, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that you're overly worried about seeding. I don't know if you're overly worried about seeding. I don't know if you're overly worried about anything. I, I think that you can never look past that day. I was talking to a player the other day who said that I think a lot of teams in the West are going to be kind of like hesitant and kind of feeling this thing out, always knowing that the Blues and the Colorado Avalanche are still in this thing, and the Vegas Golden Knights for that matter, because those are the powerhouses. But can you imagine if you wake up one morning and you see the St. Louis Blues are out? Or if you could see the Colorado Avalanche are out. If you're the Nashville Predators, all of a sudden, oof, you got like a new like reign of hope, right? Then you're going to like, let's go, boys. The power, the horses are down. This could be our year. Or in the East, if the Boston Bruins get knocked off, all of a sudden, if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets, you just <laughs> knocked off the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're riding the high, Boston's down. Boys, we could actually win this thing. So again, I think it's, I think it's so temperamental. I think it's going to be hot, cold, up, yeah. down, peaks, valleys every single day, and that's what's going to make this tournament so exciting. Very similar situation. Two thousand three, the Blues are playing the Vancouver Canucks in the first round. Now they end up losing. They're up three games to one mm-hmm. in that series. But as that series went on, and they got they got bit because I think the team made some poor travel decisions and fatigue really bit them, and then the flu bugs zapped them. And Al McKinnis will still tell you he thought that might have been their best chance of winning a Stanley Cup. But while the Blues are playing, Detroit loses and gets knocked out. Colorado loses and gets knocked out. Mm-hmm. And if you were a Blues fan and you remember that series, you're going, "This is it." They're, like they always knocked us that, off in the past. That road, mm-hmm. that road just went wide open, and then you lose to, to Vancouver. But you're yep. right; that, that, that could be the way it goes. Well, we'll see how it goes. We'll, we'll get you more updates from camp throughout the week. We'll be back with you next week with this weekend hockey tomorrow night behind the bench, presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors from six to eight, and then of course uh, you'll hear Joe and myself throughout the week on all the different shows here on 101 ESPN. Again, thanks to Mike Ryder for helping with the production of the show tonight. For Joe Vitale, I'm Chris Kerber. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week on this weekend hockey on your home for St. Louis Blues hockey 101 ESPN.